Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joseph Lupton. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Joe. How are you good doing? You. It's I'm good to see fine. you right there. Good. Okay, now that we've got those pleasantries out of the way, <laughs> let's talk about March Madness, which is the degree to which a year in which inflation has consistently surprised is still able to deliver shock and awe in a March gain that appears to be tracking monthly uh, almost twice as much as the highest monthly gain we've seen in the last 25 years. So I want to kind of talk about this in terms of how much does that A, create risks to our growth forecast in the near term, and B, how much does it create risks to our inflation forecast? and central bank calls over the more medium term. But let's start with the first issue, which is how worried should we be that inflation is running well above what we already thought it would, given the degree to which that actually creates a squeeze on household purchasing power? I I mean, it's it's alarming, right? I mean, it's it's like a broken record on the team for the better part of almost nine months, which is like upside surprise, upside surprise, upside surprise. And and this is another month, but as you note, March is like on top of a, a year of upside surprises, March really stands out. And that's saying something, right? So, uh, but I, I think that's important, right? Because it's not just that this is a one-off upside surprise and that stands out, but geez, this comes after strong inflation for the better part of a, a, a year now. Uh, the quarterly number itself is probably tracking over 6% globally, I, I imagine. that That's a monster hit to purchasing power. And that well, is- I guess the way I would, I would look at it is the first three months of the year on an annualized basis is tracking close to 9%. Yeah, nine and a half. Yeah, close to 10, you could say. Um, so, I mean, they're big numbers. That's how I would say it. <laughs> I mean, okay, six, nine. I mean, at some point, they're just, it's its crazy. Uh, and this is going to do uh, a lot of damage to purchasing power. The question that you asked, I think, is a very interesting one, which is, well, what's the damage it's going to do to ac actual spending? And there's no doubt that spending is going to be soft. In fact, I think in next week's number, we have another kind of back-to-back -back kind of flat real spending increase, maybe even down some. Down uh, but in the U.S. Down in U.S. I mean, I mean, what's amazing, those are soft numbers to be sure, but against the backdrop of this purchasing power squeeze, there's something going on. And what's going on, of course, is that households are actually utilizing their saving rate to kind of cushion the blow here. And that is getting us through this soft patch but it's a it's a it's a scary soft patch that we're in right now cuz we're in uncharted waters in terms of seeing kind of inflation prints like this let's talk a little more about what happens next and i don't want to get into at the moment the the more medium term issue about uh, underlying inflation but it does look like at least in april energy prices will not add as much to inflation we've kind of flattened out here but the food price story is a particularly worrisome one in terms of its uh, movements in commodity space and also its potential pass through over a period of time. 
you've done work on that. So why don't you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, it is a a, a concern. I don't want to undermine it because, as you as you noted, we've been we've been pushing this. I I also don't want to overstate it, right? So I mean, before I get into why we should be worried about it, let me first say the energy price is the is the big thing, and that is stabilizing short of something kind of bad happening stabilizing there is going to be important food prices just get into consumer or ag prices let's say ag commodity prices get into actual consumer food prices at a much kind of more um kind of measured clip right so it takes about 12 months we estimate for some of these ag prices to get into food prices um there's no doubt food prices are running high already and the rise in ag prices is going to add to that uh but it's as i said it's just going to be a bit more more moderate in terms of the way that kind of spills in the the other thing is that it doesn't have as big of an effect in the developed markets of course for the emerging markets it's it's a much bigger deal. So I, I yes, Bruce, I mean, I think food is a is something that we should be watching. But for my my sake, the near term story is really about energy prices. And you're hitting on an important point, which is if well, not even if are right. I mean, things are going to come off short of oil prices, not making another big step up. I think we estimate like on a quarterly sequential basis, inflation comes down like five percentage points from the first half to the second half. That's a monster that's a monster improvement in purchasing power growth, right? So we should not lose sight of that when we talk to clients and say, oh my God, this is like the, the world's falling apart. How can consumers keep leaning on their saving rate? Well, the incremental drag is going to disappear when we move to the second half, if we can get to the second half. So that's the well, issue. That's the issue. The issue is, are we able to absorb the drag now, which is intensifying? Uh, you need to have that cushioning continue here for another two to three months and then then if you've held in you can then start to talk about upsides and then we can also start to talk about what gets sort of built into the underlying inflation process mm -hmm. but you know i think one thing in a, in a in a few weeks where people are obviously talking about how much the fed might have to do whether the fed will cause a recession in 23 or 24 you know we have to get through the next few months and that is uh potentially disruptive if things uh become more seriously uh challenged and and we should we should pivot rather than i, I started by saying let's talk about longer term inflation but i want to stay on the the higher frequency space and talk for a minute about china because there is mm. another issue here um that this is this covid uh drag in china mm. does not look like it's going away it looks like it's becoming a bigger problem how much of a drag is that going to be both for China and the global economy? I, I got to be honest, as much as I'm worried about the energy prices and inflation story, I am just as impressed, if not more impressed, by the consumer fundamentals that are helping us get through that and setting us up what I think is still going to be a pretty strong consumer when we move into the, the, the medium run, which sets you up for that other conversation you have in mind. I'm more worried about the China story. Because I don't have a, I don't have a good way of how we get through it, right? I mean, China is boxed in, and it it either kind of continues to go through lockdowns, open lockdown, open, which is just going to send continued steady shock waves through not just China's domestic demand but the rest of the global economy, uh, or 
it opens up and that might be the right thing to do, but you're going to go through a period that's going to look pretty grim as the the kind of the, the, the virus kind of runs rampant through the economy. So either way, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. And there's going to be a, a, a difficult period to get through. And I don't know how to how to get around that. So I am worried. And as, as, as you noted, I mean, the data flow for China are, are looking very grim. We've been flagging this for a while. I think our China team's been pushing back, but they're they're kind of acquiescing now, given the, the monster decline in, in the services PMI this, this week. And it is suggesting very big downside risk to our second quarter growth forecast. So in some ways, we have a concentrated drag hitting China. Uh, and we have in that inflation drag we talked about a, a minute ago, we have a concentrated drag on the continent in Europe. The euro area and Central Europe are both running a little over 15% annualized against the backdrop of gains, which are running, you know, five, seven percentage points lower on average against the rest of the world. You know, one of the things we always think about is what is the threat that concentrated drags have of, of magnifying themselves because they are concentrated and can spill out through financial channels. Um, how worried should we be that that, that is going to happen this time? Uh, you're right. It's always a worry. So it's just a matter of like, is it more or less than what the baseline worry would be? And I, I actually think it would be a bit less. I mean, these these commodity price shocks, they're 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 intense, but they, they do tend to roll off quickly. And as I mentioned, we're looking for it to roll off quickly. Importantly, we're not seeing the type of stress in financial markets. Yes, financial conditions have tightened and they've tightened a lot in the US, but that's about right. repricing of the of central banks and repricing of the Fed, which is a Fed that's just trying to take some steam out of the economy and pull its foot off the accelerator. So that is a natural part of the of the cycle here it's not a sh external shock so i think for the most part while it's something we're watching I, i'm not seeing the types of pressures that we should worry about and it's, it's partly related to the fact that the fundamental supports are are so, are so strong so i mean the financial side of the economy has not gotten itself levered against a macro imbalances that you would typically worry about when you get hit by a shock like this yeah i would i would agree with one caveat which is to say, as you're noting, um, these commodity shocks can come off pretty quickly. Um, and I think it is also relevant that markets are not taking these concentrated shocks as risks that are beginning to create particular stress in terms of funding markets. EM credit is holding in well. And, you know, importantly, oftentimes the stress that you have in the global economy gets reflected in a flight to quality that pushes the dollar up in a trade-weighted mm -hmm. basis. Those are not happening. However, we do have this very um, unusual configuration, at least over the last um, two or three decades, where we're getting a um, commodity price shock that's pushing inflation higher, and we're getting an interest rate shock in terms of, you know, none, notwithstanding what you said earlier, that the Fed is tightening because the economy is doing well. Uh, it's not been the case in recent time that 10-year yields uh, mortgage rates have moved up the way they are now. So there is a an added dimension to that, which is the interaction of the inflation and interest rate uh, moves, which we have to, um, you know, see how they uh, uh, work together, particularly for the U.S., where maybe we're not getting as big a, a drag from some of the um, 
uh, the, 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 the energy price shocks that Europe is getting, but we're getting, a, I think, a more important element to our tightening comes through higher mortgage rates and potential drags on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would I, I don't disagree with all that. I, I still think and I, I think you agree that the the kind of the bigger medium term risk is simply that the, the Fed is kind of compelled to actually induce some type of slowdown, which I guess is a euphemism for a recession. Um, I mean, that's maybe just our inability to think of external shocks to expect the unexpected. I mean, there can always be something. But short of that, boy, I mean, things and we get through the near term growth can be quite strong and the Fed is is going to have to put the brakes on. And that kind of more natural Fed-induced slowdown pulling the punch bowl away is something we've been pushing for a while. And that still is kind of where I would put my modal view of how things happen. And I think it probably happens a bit earlier than maybe what's in our forecast. What's just, but that's just more well, it's not in, of our views. It's not really in our forecast in the sense that we don't Right. Yeah. I mean, we're not forecasting a recession. But, but I think as much as I'm sympathetic to that, I think we also have to remember that that's a story that is not going to play out over months. It's going to play out over yeah. a couple of years. And and we are yeah, still somewhere in between. But maybe that's the difference between you and me. I mean, I think late 23, like the second half of 23 is where this is going to get. If if we're right on everything else, second half of 23 is going to be very, very interesting. OK, well, we'll see. I mean, I'm, I, I mean what I'm saying is the Fed is not going to likely have materially restrictive policy stances in place by the end of this year. We'll see if that actually is right or not. But then you're talking about a story of tight policy coming in in 23 and its implications for growth with yeah. you know, probably some lag on that. Uh, but anyway, let's leave it there. There's uh, uh, plenty more to talk about, but I think uh, it's getting to the weekend and I need to release you to go home <laughs> to your family, Joe. So anyway, thanks everybody. Uh, hope we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV.